Hey everyone, welcome to the I Dare You podcast. This podcast is all about you and helping you reach the big goals you have in your life. And what next steps will you take to get there? And I'm your host, Darren Johnson, and this is episode 54. You tuned in for another good one. Before we go any further, make sure you're subscribing to this podcast so you do not miss an episode. This episode, our guest is Brian Brenberg. Now, the name is familiar. Many of you know Brian. For those that don't, let me introduce him to all of you. Most important things first, he's a dad, he is a husband, and he also is the co-host of Fox Business Network's brand new show, The Big Money Show, which is on weekdays at 1 p.m. New York time. Brian has been in education for 15 years, and he currently serves as the executive vice president and chair of the program in business and finance at the King's College in New York City. And Brian also earned an MBA with distinction from the Harvard Business School. Not too bad. Now, Brian and I, we talk about a lot in this interview. Uh, Some of the things that you will learn. You'll learn about the power of mentorship and how it can transform lives. We know that. Think back in your own life how mentors have played a role in shaping your life. We're also going to be talking about what the future might hold for the next generation as far as vocations and jobs. For those of you that are are parents and looking now at your children and wondering, I wonder what my kids will do for a living and what their life might look like. Really fun to get this perspective from someone with Brian's economic background, education background, but also obviously as a dad and a husband, really great insights that will hang with you. You're also going to learn about what's going on with young men in America, what's behind it, and how we can help them become their best. Okay, I'm excited about this interview. I've been waiting to talk to Brian for some time, and he's here. Episode 54 is queued up. Let's not waste any more time. Here, everyone, is Brian Brenberg. Brian, welcome to the I Dare You podcast. It is an honor to have you here. Well, thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to do this. I'm from Minnesota. You're from Minnesota. I like you already. (laughs) How did you land in New York, and where did your journey take you to get to your spot right now? Yeah, it's been a winding road. I'm a, I'm definitely a Minnesota guy at heart. You know, I like small towns and lakes and, and forests. And, and uh, in fact, I grew up in a town called Forest Lake. So that's my preference. Yeah. Uh, nobody's more surprised that I'm in New York City than me. It, uh, it was one of those, it was, a, it was a journey that I didn't chart out. I didn't expect to be here. I didn't aim to be here. I didn't really know what I was going to do or where I was going to go. I went to college in Minnesota at the University of St. Thomas. And I mostly went there because I wanted to play football. And that was the best fit to play, to play football there. And um, didn't really know what I was going to study, to be honest with you. I, I, I met a guy, um, kind of a mentor in, in late in high school and in college who really shaped what I studied. And he said, study finance. I studied finance. Mm-hmm. He said, go work in finance. I went to work in finance. And, um, but through knowing him and kind of getting into my career, I started to develop my own set of curiosities. And that eventually led me to grad school in Boston. So I went to grad school at Harvard. Um, and that was, a, that was an amazing experience, you know, to one, to be out in Minnesota and, and two, to be at a, at a place like that, where, you know, you frequently feel like you're the dumbest guy in the room. You know, that, I, I felt that way all the time uh, no in grad school there, but I, it was good. It was humbling. And, and, uh, and so it was just, you know, so then it just became a series of experiments. So I, I said, well, you know, I kind of like public policy and economics. I'd like to go work in the DC realm and just see what that's all about. So I did that for a while after grad school. And it was when I was down there that I learned about this place called the King's College up in New York City, which had just such an interesting profile to me, a very um, 
economic, political, religious, liberty-oriented school, but um, but in Manhattan, and and it just didn't. It seemed odd, and and I I thought you know it'd be fun to try this out. So again, another experiment, kind of testing it out, and that one stuck. You know, I've, I've been at King's yeah. now for almost fifteen years, and. Uh, and, and that one really, and, you know, that's kind of what got me into this New York world and into this, you know, doing some writing and doing some speaking. And, and eventually when you do that in New York, there's a decent chance the, you know, somebody in the media is going to say, Hey, liked your article. You want to come talk about that? And, right. and that was the beginning of media work. So there's nothing, you know, the key is there's nothing planned here. <laughs> this is all <laughs> groping in the dark and kind of yeah. finding your way to something that, that suits what you like to do, even if you didn't know that at the outset. That's a good point. You mentioned finance. So a mentor told you to study finance. If I could go back in time, uh, Brian, I would study more finance. I went to Concordia College yeah. up in Moorhead, Minnesota. Sure. And we took one, maybe an accounting class, maybe a macroeconomics class. But if I could go back in time, I would take more finance. One thing I've noticed is that in business, I've been in business for 30 years, there's a language of finance that is so important as you move through your career. I mean, it's not required but finance is just a fantastic degree. It was then, it is now. I, I imagine you're not going to disagree with me too much. No, huh? I, I, it's so important because, you know, I tell this to every one of my students. I don't care what they're interested in. They could be interested in the arts. They could be interested in business. They could be interested in, in politics and policy. Everything requires a source of resources. You know, everything needs to be funded and financed and resourced. And that's all a question of finance at the end of the day. Where do you raise money and how do you manage it? And how do you think about the alternative uses of the cash that you have? And um, so, to, you know, everybody thinks if you study finance, you got to go work in investment banking or, or something like that. No. It, it, and, you know, it's funny, you meet students 10 years out of college and maybe they study politics, philosophy and economics. And almost always the first thing they'll tell me is, man, I wish I would have taken, they'll usually say, I wish I would have taken an accounting class and a business class. Yes. <laughs> I know, because even though the, the subject matter of what you love is not business, the higher you get in the organization, that's what you spend your time doing, figuring out how to manage this thing and how to fund this thing. That is so true. In fact, I went back, I got my MBA from Washington University in St. Louis. And by the way, as an executive MBA, for those younger folks that are going into school and going to college, when in doubt, take some finance classes. You will not uh, regret it. Finance kind of has this dirty tinge to it or this, this like, oh, you're finance, you're, yeah. a, you're a greedy, you know, corporate whatever. And, and and so sometimes that keeps people away from that field. And, and, and it's like, no, I mean, studying finance is, is like doing sit-ups or pull-ups or something. It's going to help. It's going to make you healthier as a person who operates in the world. Quit thinking of it like it's a, you know, evil or something. Understand yeah. the value and how it can help you reach your goal. So true. So true. Well, now that we've done our bit to, to prop up finance uh, majors all across the U.S., <laughs> you, you've been in education now 15 years. And I've, I saw in an interview that you gave that you enjoy education because it gives you a sneak peek into some of the trends or what's, what's coming for this next generation. What are you seeing right now, Brian, as you look forward into the next decade, decade after? Yeah. Yeah, great question. I, I do love, uh, I frequently find myself in the classroom feeling old. Like, I, you know, I don't get it anymore. None of my references make any sense to anybody. Um, but I do get a sense for what young people are really interested in. And I, it, it is fascinating to me. There's a, um, 
I think that that this generation, this you know, I've, I've taught millennials and then now kind of into Gen Z, and they everybody's got their different reputation for them. You, they're they're this or they're that. They're they're fragile or idealistic or something. Actually, what I think of what I think about them is they're very very creative. They love story and they actually love um, beauty and like they're just very into. They're, they're very into um, uh, finding creative outlets for the things that they're interested in. I just, I, I think the entrepreneurial instinct actually is quite strong, um, but they, they haven't been challenged to develop that in, in ways that they can turn into like career opportunities. You know, it's mm. sort of a, they, they have these creative impulse because they've been so surrounded by creativity with what they you know, consume online and, and, and just this media environment that we're in and they've got great ideas and they're very funny. And, um, but they've also kind of had this experience where it, you know, it feels like people have kind of, there's been a lot of sheltering and a lot of that, you know, that's, that's hard pullback from that. And they, they need that finance education. They mm. need that. Um, they need that affirmation that, that, finding a way to create value for others and make money with this is good. Like that's how you turn a creative impulse into something that can serve others. And so to me, that's the need, you know, that, so I'm talking less about what, what product they're interested in. I'm telling you more about what their temperament is. And I think what the opportunity is, but it requires to me, this reformation and the way they think about the marketplace and the application of their interests view, you know, not viewing not viewing business in the market as this sort of greedy, evil thing, but actually the place where you take a cool idea and you make it usable to others because they're willing to pay you for it. You know, I think if they can do that, I think there's no limit uh, to what they can achieve, but it's that mindset that's really the key here. Well, I've heard you mention that before. You're very uh, bullish about how creativity and courage powers this economy. And let's go back to King's College, which is a Christian liberal arts college in the financial district of New York. How does that then match? Because I imagine you're having a bit of a bit of a, a paradigm shift about how profit can be good and how companies can do good. How do you reconcile that with with the, the next generation? Well, to me, like the way you talk about this with the next generation, I think is they, the story really shapes this generation. They love story. They consume so many more stories, I think, than previous generations because it's always it's Netflix, it's YouTube, yeah. it's 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 Disney. It's just story, story, story. It's very cool, but but narrative shapes them really powerfully. And so when I think about how, how do I help them see the opportunity, the marketplace, to me, it's about narrative. Actually, I, when I get, have a chance to talk with young people, I try to. Put, put in front of them the stories of people who have changed the world through the marketplace in really positive ways that they may not know. You know, I have a favorite one about the guy who started Medtronic. It's a Minnesota company, you know, Medtronic yeah, uh, medical devices and his story and how he pioneered so much in the, in the pacemaker space. And then beyond that is extraordinary. And it's a story of discovery. It's a story of trial and error. It's a story of a guy with very humble beginnings uh, discovering something that the experts couldn't figure out. And what I try to show them is, is, you know, economic freedom, the marketplace, the space to try something everybody else thinks is crazy. That's how you discover what someone from very humble beginnings can become. And that transcends all boundaries. Okay. I don't care what race, ethnicity, 
where you come from, that space is the space in which people evidence unlikely things. And, and, and I, I try to help them see that so they can get excited about that possibility, that creative space that creates possibility. Great points. I remember being um, younger in my career and I remember being a little bit disenchanted with my career choice. I was maybe a little bit bored. I was wondering, is this all there is? And what flipped it for me was I read a, a book, it's called Wild at Heart. Anyway, a lot of great points in the sure, book. Yeah. Um, but one of the things, you, you read the book? Yeah, I know. I, yeah, Todd Eldred, isn't it? That's it. That's it. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I remember stuck with me when I was, gosh, I might have been in my late 30s, was in your vocation, you can do so much good in the world. And you don't yeah. need to go into mission work or become a pastor or work for a nonprofit. All that you can do. You can also do a lot in your vocation. Yeah. And that really flipped the script for me. Uh, what do you think on that? I love it. I, I, I mean, if you think about in, in any given day, where do most of the things come from that help feed, clothe, shelter, warm, cool um, the world? You know, where, where do these things come from? Uh, educate the world, uh, entertain the world, challenge. It's, most of these things derive from the activities of people in the marketplace who are buying and selling and creating for profit. I mean, I, I don't have anything against nonprofits, but the vast majority of that work that could, has ministry uh, elements and ministering to others elements to it is in the marketplace, you know? So why would you want to cut yourself off from maybe the greatest platform in the world to serve someone because there happened to be some people who use that platform for greedy ends that can happen anywhere. Greed Absolutely. can happen in the nonprofit space, government space, education, private, you know, there's no escape in greed. The only question is what do you want to do and what platform is going to enable that more than any other platform. And, and the marketplace is powerful because that's where people go with their capital, with their resource. And they say, here, if you've got a good idea, I want to give this to you. I want to let you use this to create value I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to cut myself off from that simply to, to try to fall into a portion of the tax code that somehow suggests <laughs> there's no profit happening here. Right. <laughs> don't, let, don't let the tax code dictate how you can create value in the world. Well said. I'm going to come take a class from you. Now, the Fox Business Network, you have a, you're a co-host of a brand new show. What was there behind this, Brian, that caught your attention and why this opportunity for you? Why did you say yes? Well, again, it was it was very evolutionary. You know, I never aimed to get into television or host a show. I never thought I could host a show. That's crazy to me. I'm a, I'm a small town Minnesota kid. You know, <laughs> and I, I did not grow up thinking I'm going to host a television show. Um, but I got pulled into that world, and it, again through writing and speaking, and while I was teaching, and well, I just realized it's very similar to teaching. You know, there's a lot of, when you do a television show, especially one in the Fox Business Network, which is focused on on economics and markets very similar to what I teach in the classroom. It's kind of the same thing. It's, it's shorter, it's more produced, you know, and it's more focused on events of the day, but it's, it's kind of the same thing. How do you take what's happening in the world and present it in a way where people can learn something about it and use it? You know, and that's, that's what I do in the classroom. So I kind of got hooked on that. I just enjoyed it. And it's, it, um, it, it, it challenges you in new ways because you've got to be really on top of what's happening and you've got to be very succinct, which I'm not being in this podcast, but I, I just love that. And so it just, you know, it, it felt like a natural evolution for me. And I'll just say this too, you know, because you mentioned uh, 
Todd Eldridge and Wild at Heart. And so I, I'm a person of faith. And I really felt like the, like this, I was sort of being drawn into this in a way that I, I couldn't even explain. It just felt like a very natural evolution. And so in some ways I just went with what I was being drawn into and it's challenging me and stretching me. And I feel like that's good. You know, I should be doing something that's, it's hard. Like right now doing a show, I'm thinking about a million things before that show I'm sitting out and, and I'm learning so much, making a lot of mistakes. And I like, that's, that's where I should be. You know, I, I, I need to keep learning. And this felt like the way to do that. Well, doesn't a good old fashioned learning curve, doesn't that feel good now and then to have that, that little bit of nervousness, a little sweaty palms. Doesn't it feel good. Yeah. It, 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 I, I, yes, it feels really good. It's also the thing I preach to my students. You know, I mean, I'm telling them, go try something that, that scares you a little bit. So when I go in the classroom with them now, I'm like, guys, this is a class on business presentations. I'm telling you, I'm living this just as much as you are. <laughs> I'm going to leave, you know, I just got out of a, of a one hour business presentation called a TV show. I, I'm telling you that the, the nerves you feel today, I felt them, you know, the, the advice I'm giving you, I'm trying to give it to myself. So yeah, I, I, I do like that and I want to get better. And I just, I don't want to, whatever gifts I have or talents, I don't want to waste them. And so yeah. I push it to the point where I, I realize, look, that's, that's the limit, man. That's the best you can do. But I don't think I've hit that yet. So I want to keep going. That's great. For those listening in, uh, think about in the last year, maybe six months, when's the last time you had that, that opportunity, that moment to maybe feel a little bit of nervousness or the sweaty palms? I think what Brian is giving us is a good reminder that that's not that's not a bad thing. That's that's a that's really a great thing. And it means that change is coming and you're going to push yourself outside of your comfort zone and, and you are going to grow. And uh, so just do that self-assessment right now. So when I'm watching you on the show, I've watched uh, just about every episode. You guys, Thank you. The, yeah, the three of you do a wonderful job. And with your background, at any given point, I know you could go completely wonky on us and just take mm -hmm. it deep, but you always keep it very, very conversational. Tell me about this show and what is the objective of this show? What are you trying to accomplish yeah. as a result of this? It's simple. It's called the big money show. And we're not talking about who has big money now or who the big money people in the world. We're talking about everyday Americans who are assessing their spot in life, their goals and saying, how do I, how do I go further faster? What can I do with the way the world's working around me? How can I make great decisions for my investments, for my business, for my family, as we think about our goals? That's it. Things are happening all the time. So we wanna find what we think are the most important things happening in the world of money. And we wanna bring them to the audience. We wanna give you the best perspective we can. Sometimes that's a perspective we have. Sometimes that's bringing in an expert from the outside to do an interview. We want our audience to walk away feeling like, I'm glad they talked about that, that's really important. And I learned something I didn't know. And in some way, I think it's going to help me make a better decision, you know, today or tomorrow or the next day. We want them to, we want to bring them stories as well that, that pique curiosity and creativity. You know, we do a lot of fun stories at the end of the show in our triple play. It's, it's, you know, this chip that can help with like epilepsy or something. I mean, amazing yeah. innovation. Okay. So what is that? What, what's going on there? Fun things that spark curiosity and, and help people enjoy what they're learning as well. But that's it. Well, I think you're doing that. There's always something actionable in every single episode or every single show. So you're off to a strong start. Well, thank you. You are a dad, are you not? Yeah, I got three kids. Two of them are in the other room. I told them to be quiet while we're doing this uh, and clean the house. 
And they're being quiet. I don't know if they're Good. cleaning the house, but uh, at least they're being quiet. <laughs> now, as a dad, but also as a professor of economics and with your background, as you look forward to your kids growing up and becoming 20-somethings and 30-somethings, what do you think about? What causes you the most excitement for them, but also maybe the most concern as you think about the future? Great question. Uh, I'm excited for them because they're just, I, I love, the, I, I love their emerging personalities and, and they're a little bit like me and a lot not like me in some ways and a little bit like my wife and a lot not, not like her. And they're just, they're so quirky and interesting. And I just say, oh my gosh, I can't wait to see how you make a life with all this and what you learn and how you grow and yeah. who you become. I mean, that's just so thrilling to me as much as I, I will miss them leaving the home. I, I will. I want them to stay forever in a way. Uh, I, I can't wait to see who they become. I can't wait to have the relationship with them that, you know, I've, I, I enjoy my relationship with my parents more now than I did when I was a kid. Be, and it's because I've had life experience and I appreciate yeah. what they did and blah, blah, blah. But I love that. I love, I just genuinely enjoy talking to my parents. It's really a lot of fun. And I, I look forward to that with my kids and following everything they do. Um, so I'm excited for that. I, I get, you know, I think everybody, as they get older, they get nervous about the world, you know, oh, the world's going to heck these days. And, and, and I admit there's a certain element of that for me. And I, I think for me, it's more the, um, I just believe very strongly in the power of liberty bounded by the rule of law. I just think that combination of a strong rule of law and really strong liberty has created the best, at least material outcomes the world has ever seen. And I would argue actually more than material outcomes, but I, I love that. And I think in my lifetime, I experienced a lot of the advance of freedom around the world. You know, if you, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Gen X kind of a young Gen X. And I, I, I got to watch the, the fall of the, uh, of the iron curtain. And I, and I got to see the opening of so much of the world to new freedoms they hadn't enjoyed before. Um, and I, I, I do get a little nervous that my kids are going to be walking into a world that's not going to be that way, that where, where freedom's going to be constrained and, and openness and, and debate and, and uh, freedom of expression, all these things are going to be curtailed. And I think that will, that could limit opportunities. I hate to see that for them. So mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm eager to see what they can become. And I'm eager for the world to be a place that's open to them becoming who they can become. That's well said. And, uh, I'm all my kids are out of the house. We're empty nesters. And it's at first when the last one went to college, Brian, it was very, very sad for about two weeks. And then yeah. it was fantastic because it's a whole different phase of life. And you know, this as a dad, every, every year is the best year as you watch your kids mm. grow and you're right. As they become adults, it's so much fun to talk to them as adults. And um, yeah. so I think that's, that's, that's beautifully said um, oh, great. as a dad. All right, the American dream, Brian. Is it? Now let me ask it this way: How is it changing? Is it still alive and well? If not, why not? Well, I think the impulse to a better life is there. I think Americans have always been people who reach for possibility, and I, and I think that's very much alive in America. Um, I also think the. Uh, you know, the last few years have been challenging for a number of reasons. One of them has been just the, um, you know, going through this pandemic and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, that was accompanied by a whole set of policy choices and kind of related movements and moments in our world. And it, you know, for a lot of people, I think it felt like 
the walls were closing in a little bit that yeah. that 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 um you know Ameri- the american frontier in a way has been closed for a long time but there's always been the frontier of discovering new things and trying new things and it sort of felt like jesus the frontier closing so i i do think there's something there that people have felt and they, and they felt like things were closing in but at the same time i look around and i see so many dimensions where people who maybe fear that or, or, or thought, gosh, it's just that we're closing down are, are, are trying to push out their boundaries. You know, they're, they're like, okay, let's do creative things. I mean, I think I saw a stat the other day, the number of new business formations in this country um, it, it increased uh, at, at a very rapid rate after 2020. I mean, it's a lot of people saying, you know what, I need to try something. I want to do something new. And I think that's a response to feeling like the old ways they were doing things, the old constraints weren't working for them. And so let's try something new. I, you know, sometimes, sometimes when your back's against the wall, that's when you, you do the most good. I mean, you, you can be fearful in those moments and lash out, or you can do something really innovative. And to me, I look around at America and I see America going through a rough patch that actually sparked for a lot of people a, a new pursuit of the American dream and the American ideal. I love that. And, and that's where I put, a, I mean, I want to tell that story and I want to, I want to, um, I want to help to foster all the best parts of that movement. Yeah. Uh, that's great. That's good news. That's really good news. Okay. You mentioned that America's going through a bit of a rough patch. And one of the things, I mean, you can pick data and factoids from anywhere, but let me tell you just a few that I've been fixated on here, Brian, and I want, I want your take on it. So first off, I was watching your show and you're, on your show, you talked about how 7.2 million men ages yeah. 25 to 54 have now dropped out of the labor market. They're not even looking for works. And the last stats from the Atlantic, 43% of 25-year-old men still live at home with their parents. And only 25% of women the same age live at home with their parents. So I'm asking really the question of what's going on with young men right now? That's one of my, um, that's one of the most important subjects, I think, in America that that's probably getting less coverage than it ought to. And I care deeply about it. Um, We, we have a problem. We we have a problem. I think men in this country, have not been served well by the structures we have built to educate and form them over the over the past many decades. I put it that really? way. And this is this is a very debatable, controversial subject. But you know, you mentioned the book um, Wild at Heart. Yep. And I'm not saying you know it's been a while since I've read that, and I know you know some people disagree with it. Some people disagree with the the, the thesis. But I do think it's the case that um, it's okay to recognize that 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 young men and boys have a have a particular set of inclinations and and uh ways of learning and 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 ways of wanting to engage with the world that are actually very healthy but they don't fit with the prevailing notion of take a kid get them on the school assembly line put them in a desk make them sit there run them through the system and spit them out at the end right that system worked great for me because my temperament was such that, you know, it's like, you tell me what to do, I will do it. You give me the bar, I'll jump over it. And I just got affirmation after affirmation going through the system. When I got to the end, I got scholarships and I got to go to college. I had a lot of peers who were great guys, really smart, really capable, but that's not what they do. They don't sit around and wait for somebody to, to give them, you know, spell this, do this, do this and, and just jump through those hoops. They want to go out and discover the world and break things and make things and 
And the system just did not reward any of that. In fact, it told them they were deviant because they didn't like to sit and be quiet. And I know a lot of those guys now, they're, they're successful, a lot of them in the trades, a yes. lot of them doing things I can't do it. I'm paying them a heck of a lot of money to do it for me. And it's embarrassing that I have no idea how to do it. And they can, for me, it's embarrassing. It's awesome for them. So I, I think uh, we, we have got to, you know, you don't have to elevate men to the, to the, to the um, expense of anybody else, but I think it would be valuable for us to really ask what a young, what, what, a, what a boys and young men need? What, how do they learn well? And, and how does that differ from this, the one size fits all system we've built? How can we change that? That's what I love about the educational entrepreneurial movement and the, and the, and the educational choice movement. It's, it's recognizing that and it's saying, okay, how do we do something better for the young men so that they work and they don't live in their parents' house and they don't spend all their life playing video games and living off of somebody. This is where Mike Rowe, to me, we had him on the show. You saw that, that I interview. I love guys like that. They're preaching a very countercultural message, affirm things that haven't gotten praise in the past. And that, and I think to me, that starts with a lot of the kinds of work in industries that, that they're not college. They're not, you don't go to college to do these things and you shouldn't. And that's okay. It's not, college is not better because college is college. College is okay if that's going to lead you to a productive life, but it's not the path for everybody. Now, that's from a college professor. I, I, yeah. I spent 15 years teaching college, but I do not think it's for everybody. And I do not think we should force fit that. So I could go on for this for an hour because I just think this is so critical and so underexplored, but that, that's probably how I'd at least start to frame it. Okay. So I went back to Alexandria, Minnesota last summer. I go back every year and I visit high school friends and my sure. buddies and and I'm, I'm always struck by the following. I have my whole career, Brian, I have moved uh, within corporate. I've relocated my family, you know, I bet a dozen times, just moved yeah. them all over wow. the place. It's been great. I'm not, I'm not saying it's been, it's bad, but I did it for increased income and increased security and all those things and career fulfillment. When I go back to my hometown, some of the guys I graduated high school with, they went to shop class in high school. I went to typing, by the way, in high school. Yeah. They are driving a new F-150 truck. They're living on a lake home. They own a plumbing business or they're laying hardwood floors yeah. or they're electricians. And I'm thinking to myself, I think they got to figure it out. Yeah, totally. I, yeah, first of all, Alexandria's got great lakes. They you know, do. It's a great place to go for lake living. Um, I'm totally with you. I, that's the way I feel too. I, I mean, they're, they're, um, they have built businesses. They have started from scratch. Yep. You know, I borrowed money to go to college. They borrowed money to buy a rig. That's it. And, and nobody's offering to, you know, nobody's offering to bail that out. They're no, they're just, they've got to pay back that loan, but they've, and they employ people, you know, they employ neighbors. And, and right. um, I love that. I, I uh, to me, that's, that's, that's the possibility of America. And I think we should be trumpeting those stories and telling young men, you know, when we're, if we're telling them, Hey, get off of mom's couch, because you can go be a great success in, in this field if, if you get off that couch and you don't have to go to college, you don't have to sit in a desk, but you got to go out there and use your hands and use your brain and make a living. And to me, that's, I just, I'm not that guy, but I know that that's, that matters. And I, if I can help point people in that direction, I'll do that. Spread that word. I think you're onto something for sure. What's getting in their way from doing it though, uh, Brian? If you're if you're a young man right now listening to this and you're wondering what to do with my life, what direction should I go? What's stopping you from taking the next step? Um, I think I think young guys need more mentors. I think they need more men in their lives who are saying, 
I think you matter. I love you. I want to see you succeed. You need to stop doing this. And I want to show you a path for how you can become a contributor. Because ultimately, the thing that makes us happy is, is adding value, contributing. We like to contribute. And I, men, young men need older men who do that for them. And I think that's one of the problems with the um, education system. It takes a ton of people, puts them in, with, with one person. And these guys don't get, they don't get the, the mentors. They don't get the examples. Um, we need, you know, they need those examples. I think the other thing is just stop paying guys not to work. You just can't pay guys not, if you pay somebody not to work, you know, not everyone's going to buy into it, but, but there's going to be a lot of people who just say, you know, well, I don't have to work. Somebody else is paying the bills for me. Love, love is not accommodating everyone's momentary impulse. Right. Love is helping somebody reach what they can become. And sometimes that means saying, uh, you got to pick it up right now. Like yeah. you need, this is, none of this is okay. It's not praiseworthy. It's not noble and it's not going to help you. So, but, but that's, that's relational, you know, men need to be in relationship with men. And I think we've, you know, whether that's because a father's not in the home or whether that's because people have just, you know, men just haven't, they don't have those natural places anymore where they meet other older men who can, who can mentor and tutor them. Uh, we need to recover that somehow. And, and again, I think, I think innovation and, and education can be part of that, but I think it's also about civic organizations that just really want to affirm manhood. Right. You know, just that we affirm manhood. We want to see more men become great men. Yeah. And, and we're going to, we're going to build organizations that can help do that. And so all that is true. And, and for those who are listening, if you're a, if you're a guy who's maybe got a little gray in the temples, uh, my challenge to you would be think about the other men in your life, the young guys that you run into in your, at work or at church. And the best favor you could do for them is to be a mentor for them because they, they do need it. And, and what, what a true um, sign of respect and love for someone to be able to do that for them. What, what would it look like? Could be a cup of coffee, could be grabbing lunch. That's the start. Yeah, it just, but, but it, it's telling somebody, hey, I think you matter. I, I think I see a lot of potential in you. Um, and if you want to go after that, I, I'll help you. It won't That's be, great. it won't always be comfortable, but, but I will do it if, if you're willing to get in on it. I, I had that. I mean, I had a mentor of mine who at times said, hey, you need to straighten up. And I, I'm grateful he did that. You know what? You're right. Now that you say that, I've had several mentors in my life that also have given me not only the, the love, but also tough love, not just yeah. the encouragement, but you can do better. I expect more. Yeah. From you. It hurt. I, it hurt. I was a guy who wanted praise. If I, I can remember a few times where somebody, I had, bad, I had a really bad attitude and guys like that, yeah. you know what? Your attitude stinks. Uh, and I, you need to change that. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> thank you. You know, at the time I hated it. Now I'm like, yeah. thank you for saying that. All right, so the Fox Business Network and the Big Money Show, if we were to beam right now into the studios, into your, your planning meetings, what would be the biggest surprise? What would surprise me the most about being there and what you talk about in your planning process? Mm. You know, I think that our, I, the way our planning meetings are developing, there's a lot of, it's actually a really fun conversation. It's kind of like the show, only around a table with a whole bunch of people and kind of batting around different ideas and where we want to go. And um, and there's a lot of young people around that table. <laughs> our, really? I think I'm the oldest person on our show. And I love that and, and embrace that and hope that I can be of some value to those young team members that we have. Great. We always ask our guests, what's your challenge for all of us? So what do you think? Yeah, I, I appreciate that question. I was thinking about this. One of the things um, that I was known for as a teacher is knowing everybody's name. And it's not because I have a special talent about that, but I, I, 
I think this was advice I got when I was young. The more you know somebody's name, the more they feel known. And the more they feel known, the more they're likely to engage with what you're doing. So I made a really strong effort as a teacher to get to know every student's name as fast as possible. I would go every class, I'd shake every student's hand and I'd say their name to them and I'd get a lot of them wrong. But I learned names pretty fast and I, and I think it really aided my classroom. And part of that is, is going up to the person you've seen a million times and you said hi to a million times and you don't know their name and you're embarrassed by it. You're so embarrassed by it that you will not ask their name. And I think that creates a barrier to the actual relationship you can have. So my challenge is uh, that person you see every day and say hi to, and you don't know their name, walk up to them and say, hey, you know what? I don't think I've ever caught your name and I wanna know it, what's your name? And get the name from them. And I can guarantee you, you're gonna have a different level of interaction with them and it's gonna be better once you know their name. So that's my challenge. Make, make the unnamed familiar face a named familiar face. That is such a great challenge and so practical. And I'm thinking of at least 10 people right now that I'm that. I got some in my life. I got to do that. I got a lot of crazy. them actually. And you're right. And you know what? It's a barrier to the relationship. You said yeah. it. It's a barrier. Yeah, I, I, it is. Because you just, you can't go deep because you're like, eh, at some point I'm going to have to reveal the fact that I don't know your name and I'm embarrassed to do that. So let me get that out of the way. Well, I expected a professor of econ to say save 10% or some of the financial, but the fact- I'll do that too. The fact you went after more people, people in the names is uh, just a perfect, perfect way to end this conversation. Brian, thank you very much for being part of this podcast. Uh, I wish you all the best in your, in your brand new show. I'll be watching and many of us will. So thank you again for being part of the show. Darren, thank you so much. This was really a treat. I appreciate being able to come on. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? Getting to know Brian Renberg on a whole different level. He's a dad, uh, he's a husband, and in education for 15 years, uh, host of a brand new show on the Fox Business Network. What I admire most about Brian, and this came through, I hope, in the interview, is how he has the ability to take financial literacy and just put it right in front of you so you can understand some of the complex issues that are facing all of us, not only as a country, but also uh, as a family and as individuals. So make sure you check out Brian a little bit more and uh, Big Money Show. Check it out. Also, the book that we referenced a couple times, it is Wild at Heart, written by John Eldridge. It was written in 2001. Many of you already know about it, but if not, you may want to just check that out. Uh, Google it. It's not just for young men. If you have a young man in your life or if you have a guy in your life, worth a read. I'm not going to say you agree with everything in the book, but I think you'll enjoy it. So now as you listen, who will you share this with? Uh, I invite you to share this with people in your life who are important to you. And also follow us on Instagram, at IDareYouPod. There you'll find a really great community, and you're going to get exclusive content you won't find anywhere else, including video snippets of this interview. And finally, what's the one thing you're going to implement in your life starting today? Uh, for me, it's about mentorship that just just resonated with me. Uh, when I think about the people in my life who have helped me in my career and still help me, but to also then, with intent, reach down and identify uh, a few young people, young men, young women, and how can you intentionally mentor them, encourage them, and to help them be the best that they can be. Let's all try that. We're all thinking of someone, so let's take that next step starting today. And now get ready for episode 55. Thank you so much for being here and for listening and for sharing this with others. It means a lot to me, and we're spreading the message. Uh, the, the number of downloads and listens are growing episode after episode, and that doesn't happen by accident. It happens because of you, and I appreciate you. So thank you. We'll see you here next week for episode 55. I can't wait for you to hear it. I'll see you then.